Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me here. I'm, I'm, it's a delight, really, to be able to speak here at the University of Texas in Austin. And my topic for today is how Aristotle can benefit science today. Or rather, how Aristotle can benefit scientists and the scientific method if his philosophy is properly understood. I might also add that it should be a good advertisement for Professor Kuhn's classes. So if you like this type of thing, please feel free to take classes with him. Now, why should we be interested in this topic at all? Why come and spend your lunch hour on Monday considering it? Why think that Aristotle has anything to say to us 2,300 years plus after he passed away? There are, after all, scientists like the popular physicist Lawrence Krauss who think that philosophy is a waste of time and that people like Aristotle only hold our interest as historical figures, not as people who have meaningful things to say to us today. Such dismissiveness towards philosophy in general, and Aristotle in particular, is common enough in the sciences and among scientists to warrant serious consideration. So I'm going to begin this lecture by trying to pinpoint how it is possible for Aristotle to help us, and then outline some specifics of what we can take with us back to the lab or the classroom. To begin to respond to the philosophical skepticism of today, we need to recognize one very important fact that there is actually a crisis in science today. Among others, the theologian Paul Schertz points out in his book, Science and Christian Ethics, that there is a growing problem with failure to reproduce experimental results in accepted literature, science, scientific literature. There have been a number of instances where top journals have had to retract explosive articles because the papers were proven to be either wrong or seriously flawed. And it takes a lot to have, a, have an article uh, kind of revoked by a journal. And even if we exclude the articles that big journals actually retract, there is still a huge problem with replication of experiments published in reputable journals. This problem is less known to those outside the scientific community, but there are many published journal articles that have data which cannot be replicated by other research labs uh, using similar experiments. This crisis has actually been with us for a while, but it has taken center stage in society in part because of the constant and often inept press coverage about COVID research. As a result of this, people have begun to doubt the value and trustworthiness of scientific research. And scientists, understandably, seek to defend their field in light of these criticisms. But in the process, they often paper over the real issues that bubble beneath the surface of the discipline itself. Some will say that a number of these problems are exacerbated and driven by politics, and there's a lot of truth to that. But the intense politicization is only possible because of the real crisis that already exists. And this is a crisis relating to the trustworthiness of scientific conclusions. The possibility of political influence in scientific conclusions suggests that science is not giving us the kind of trustworthy conclusions that we seek. And so some will reach for political solutions to fill in the epistemological gaps. Where do these gaps appear? Well, have you ever noticed that whenever you hear about a scientific discovery in the media, 
It's always about a, quote, revolutionary discovery. Now, sometimes, more often than not, this is just exaggeration, trying to motivate people to read about this and to get excited about the discovery. But other times, they really do mean that there is a revolution, that certain theories that have held sway for a long period of time are now about to be overturned. And even if, this hap even if such an overturning of a strongly held theory happens once or twice in a person's lifetime, that can actually give us doubt about whether the things that we think are proven science are actually stable truths. This is not just a problem of public perception, but is a natural result of some theorization about the nature of, this, of scientific progress and the project of scientific research. So with that in mind, let me note two things. First, I'm only hinting at a whole host of issues, and there are many, and there are many ways to fix deep issues that lurk in the background, some of which philosophy can fix, others which require the help of other disciplines. So I'm not proposing a silver bullet solution that will resolve all the tensions in science today. Um, second, I mention these problems not to make us doubt science. As it happens, I have a great deal of confidence in science and in its value and its ability to penetrate the mysteries of the world we live in. So I'm not proposing to junk science or the scientific method at all. That's not my project today. What I want to propose today is that one thing that can help to restore our confidence in the value of scientific research is to reclaim some of the Aristotelian principles that grounded the origins of modern science in the first place. What do I mean by this? And what am I proposing? To begin, I think it's helpful to be clear about what I am not saying. All right, so first, I am not saying that we should take up Aristotelian theories about the universe that have been proven wrong. So I'm not saying that we should accept a geocentric view of the universe or our solar system. I'm not suggesting that we return to a theory of elements that consists only of earth, air, fire, and water. I'm not suggesting that we consider the, consider the heavens to be made of a different material than that of Earth. I'm not even suggesting that we go back to thinking that the heart is the seat of the intellect and that the brain is just a large air conditioner that cools the body. That is what Aristotle thought. These are all conclusions that Aristotle held, but have been proven wrong by later science. So what I'm proposing today does not suggest or even require that we, that we accept these disproven doctrines. Secondly, I am not suggesting that Aristotle's philosophy of nature will help us to make better technology or more accurate predictions of the future. These may occur, but that's rather irrelevant to what I'm talking about today. What I am proposing is that Aristotle's natural philosophy can benefit science by providing a better epistemic framework for the project of science. What do I mean by that? Here I want to quote my Dominican brother, Father William Augustine Wallace, from his book, The Modeling of Nature. In that book, Father Wallace argues that the epistemic structure of Aristotelian science is perfectly compatible with contemporary science. And in that book, he focuses on scientific models in general and how Aristotle's philosophy can aid us in perfecting these models and the creation of new scientific models to address new problems. And he does so by aligning our scientific models with the structures of Aristotelian science and logic. So in that book, he focuses on science. Uh, yeah. So Father Wallace makes the following clarifying remark. He says, quote, the modeling here suggested is not of a kind with a model one might construct to predict weather, 
or to make economic forecast, or otherwise to achieve a practical result. Rather, the intent is more speculative, theoretical, at ground epistemological, what might be termed epistemic. The meaning that is conveyed by the Greek episteme, Aristotle's term for knowledge that is genuine knowing and thus to be differentiated from opinion. When individuals have an opinion on a matter, they think they know something, and yet they really do not know, for they allow the contrary of what they hold might be true. But when they know scientifically, and for Aristotle, epistemic knowing is the same as scientific knowing, they are certain of the object of their knowledge, and this precisely because they know it through the causes that make it to be as it is." End quote. The point that Father Wallace is making is that science has a problem with certitude. Too much of science seems just like justified true belief, to give a contemporary philosophical definition of knowledge. But Aristotelian notion of science is not justified belief, but is a fact of our understanding where what we think to be true cannot be otherwise, and therefore is certain. So what science needs is some philosophical rigor to help bring our empirical investigations from concluding to mere beliefs and rather to conclude to certitudes about the way the world is. And Father Wallace and I think that Aristotle's notion of science and scientific reasoning can help fill in the void of certitude that is causing so much trouble today. Now, there are many ways that Aristotle's philosophy of nature can do this, but I'm just going to highlight four ways this afternoon. First, that Aristotelian philosophy can provide, one, a new vision of the value of science, two, improve the epistemic quality and revise the notions of, three, causation in scientific explanation, and four, the notion of nature in scientific explanation. So I think, so just to sum up, it can improve our motivation for why we study science, improve our epistemic, the epistemic quality of what we understand, improve our notion of our understanding what a cause is, and also improve our notion of what it means to have a nature. So these are the four ways that I think Aristotle can benefit science today, and I will spend the rest of the lecture considering each one in turn. So the first thing I want to look at is how we can understand the value of science. Now, we tend to think that the value of science is uncontroversial. After all, science has improved our lives immensely. And it is the idea that science has value because it improves our lives. That's the idea I want to push back on. I say this not because I doubt that science has improved our lives, but that the only value is that it has improved our, our lives. I think that science has a value simply because it helps us to understand, not just because it gives us useful tools for doing awesome things. The idea that science has value only because it helps us to do cool things goes back at least to Descartes, who famously says the following in his Discourse on Method regarding his proposal for a new science. He says, quote, for these notions, that is his novel philosophy, made me see that it is possible to arrive at knowledge that would be very useful in life, and that in place of that speculative philosophy taught in the schools, it is possible to find a practical philosophy, by means of which knowing the force and the actions of fire, water, air, the stars, the heavens, and all the other bodies that surround us, just as distinctively as we know the various skills of our craftsmen, we might be able in the same way to use them for all the purposes for which they are appropriate, 
and thus render ourselves, as it were, masters and possessors of nature. End quote. Descartes proclaims here that science, that the science of scholastic philosophy is unimportant because it is not productive. And he proposes a new motivation for science, a science whose purpose and value is simply to improve our lives in physical and material ways. And he points especially to the need for a better medicine and the designing of machines that make life easier. Now, while this change of perspective has in fact led to the creation of many marvelous machines that do make our lives easier, and thank God that we have uh, modern medicine. It makes life a lot better for us, really. Nevertheless, such a way of valuing science restricts the project of science, I think, too much. Because uh, foregoing the idea that science can be just for the delight of knowing the world as it is. It would almost be like saying that science, that the highest science of all is engineering, which applies our science to the production of things. And while engineering is wonderful, I, and, and don't get me wrong, I love what engineers can do, but I do think that scientists and engineers have different purposes. And I think that most scientists would and should balk at the idea that they exist only to serve engineering, which would be true if Descartes' vision of science is the best that we can aim at. For in the end, the view that science of, of science that subordinates it to engineering doesn't care if the models of the world are true, it only cares that they make our lives easier, longer, and more pleasant. And that becomes the only value of science. What Aristotle reminds us is that science is principally the search to understand the reality of the world in which we live, and that the study of that world has a value all its own, regardless of the production value of that knowledge. So it may turn out that when we understand the world correctly, we can build really cool stuff. And in this way, our productivity can act as an important confirmation of our studies. Nevertheless, this fact need not, need not be the motivation for why scientists study the world. Instead, scientists are and ought to be motivated to study the world simply because it's wonderful. And there is a joy in unlocking its secrets. And so with this in mind, Aristotle helpfully discusses two reasons why we value things and activities by distinguishing two kinds of goods. He says there are useful goods and there are honest goods. Useful goods are things that we consider good simply because they help us to do stuff or to achieve something. Honest goods are things that are desirable in and of themselves. And Aristotle thinks of science and the project of learning as an honest good not as a useful good. This is an important facet of Aristotle's philosophy because it makes the, set the search for truth the center of all our pursuits here, whether it be philosophy or science. And if the search for truth is the center of science and not what science can do for me or society, then science will be less susceptible to the influence of politics. Why? Because if the knowledge that science gives is valuable on its own, and it doesn't matter if it supports one political party or another, all that matters to the person who is investigating is, is this true? And if we pursue science with a pure heart, then we will not want it to be politicized in any way. Now doing science with a pure heart is admittedly hard, especially when it comes to trying to find funding for your projects. 
And it's, thankfully, that's a topic for another day, really. So I'm not going to consider that. But uh, lastly, I want to point out that a lot of scientists, when they get involved with science, in fact, do simply like to wonder at the world. And that many of them may, might begin because of some razzle-dazzle of a project they did in high school or college. But, you know, science is also really hard. And it involves a ton of failure. The vast majority of experiments fail. The vast majority of experiments do not conclude to anything whatsoever. They may kind of prove that one thing is false, but they don't tell us what thing is going on. And so you may work decades without getting a successful, uh, a successful result. And in fact, an entire project that you can be working on might fail. If it was only about producing stuff, you might wonder, why do this? Well, the answer is because you're learning something and that the process of learning is just that important, that it really is just that wonderful. And this is why a lot of scientists just love the nerdy aspects of their work because the nerdy aspects are almost always the things that anybody who loves knowledge loves about the things that they study. It's not just the things that you produce. It's the process by which we come to know that is most important. And when we come to grasp onto the truth, it's something so delightful that it captures our imagination and no one can ever take it away from us. So ultimately, the motivation for a scientist often just is at the basis this desire to know. And if we remember that, and if scientists can remember that, I think we can do better science. Now, again, there's more to be said here, but I have to keep going if I'm going to cover the rest of the ground that I promised. But that's the first thing. That's the motivation that I think Aristotle could help us with. The second way that Aristotle can benefit science today is to improve the epistemic quality of science. And by that, I mean he helps us to see when a scientific proposition is certain and cannot be otherwise, and when it still remains in the realm of opinion and credible opinion. How so? Well, the first thing to recognize is that the source of our lack of confidence in science has its origins in philosophical concerns, not strictly scientific concerns. So the response to these, philosoph to these philosophical problems should be philosophical in nature. Father Wallace points out that the skepticism of the philosopher David Hume and the extreme agnosticism about knowledge found in the philosophy of Immanuel Kant have an outsized influence on the way we interpret philosophical data and even how we set up tools for analyzing scientific data. Both Kant and Hume doubted that we can actually understand the real world, that we can only understand how we perceive the world. And this means that science is at best justified true belief, rather than certain knowledge about the way things in the world really are. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, and, but, and my answer for now must necessarily be brief. But if we have Aristotle's philosophy as a ground for our science, rather than Hume and Kant, we will have greater confidence in our mind's uh, ability to have access to the things in nature in themselves. And if we start with that perspective, then we can begin to adopt Aristotle's method of scientific reasoning. And what is this method of scientific reasoning? It's really a system of logic. So consider this. Aristotle is the first Western philosopher to develop a complete system of logic. And the development of logic was presented by Aristotle as a way of getting to certain conclusions about things we do not know from starting from things that we do know. 
And at the center of Aristotle's theory of science is the logic of the syllogism. Now, frequently, though frequently framed as reducible to contemporary formal logic, Aristotle's syllogistic has an important scientific quality that is missing in the mathematical logic of today, namely what some of us call a material logic. The material logic is a logic about the content of our reasoning, where we can observe necessary relations between concepts. Modern modal logic has done a lot to restore what was lost when mathematical logicians abandoned the material logic. But formal logic still operates under the presumption that we do not need a systematic way of deciding when a proposition is true based merely on its terms. Now, if you don't understand much of what I just said, that probably means you're not a logic nerd like I am. That's fine. So maybe another way to put it is this. Modern logic doesn't take into account things in the, in the world around us. In other words, it doesn't have a way of judging where certain facts fit into logical equations. It only has a way of showing what inferences follow from what presuppositions. And Aristotle's logic, on the other hand, has rules for whether our propositions are true simply by examining the nature and the essences of the terms that enter into those propositions. So in other words, from a logical perspective, the, the objects that we are thinking about have meaning in and of themselves, not just meaning in relation to other things. And that if there's a meaning in the things that we're looking at themselves, it explains the relationship that things have to one another, and it grounds truth and falsity requirements. So the rules for determining truth value of our starting premises were part of the reason why Aristotle thinks that science could give us certain conclusions about the world itself. That is more than a little vague. So if it's still unclear to you, don't worry, because my point doesn't depend upon that explanation. The key point is that much of scientific reasoning that links scientific models with experiments does not make use of Aristotle's syllogistic or his material logic. Instead, it makes use of something we call a hypothetical deductive reasoning, whose only requirement is internal coherence and therefore is content neutral. While this methodology can be super helpful in the initial stages of an investigation and in the development of contingent models and experiments, it is flawed because it is impossible to use this method alone to come to certainty about our conclusions. After all, if the model is content neutral, then the content we plug into the model is arbitrary. This is a big problem when it comes to developing experiments. In order for our experiments to prove the truth of a model, we need to see a three-way necessary connection between the world, the content of the experiment, and the content of the model itself. Without a, a method for choosing content for a model that matches up with the real world, it is easy to make mistakes and, development exper and develop experimental models that have deep confirmation biases written into them. What Aristotelian syllogistic and material logic can add is a way of resolving the arbitrariness of the content in our scientific models by giving us a logic that can prove a necessary connection between the world, the experiments that we do, and the model that the scientist uses to understand those experiments. How that is done is complicated, and I suggest that you look at Father Wallace's book, The Modeling of Nature, um, especially the second half, to see one place where we can start. However, for the purposes of full disclosure, I should add that this is the area where I think most of the work still needs to be done by Aristotelians. So I'd love to have you join me in that project. All I'm saying is that I think Aristotle has the tools that we can use and that we should 
use uh, to make science more certain. My third point is that science needs a more Aristotelian notion of what it means to be a cause in order to show the necessary connection between scientific theories and real-world activities. As I noted in passing, Hume's empiricism has done a lot to erode our confidence in our ability to know the real world. Part of that is because Hume denied the classical notion of a cause. Classically, a cause is a principle that explains the existence of some other thing. Hume, on the other hand, says that causation is just the constant conjunction between two ideas. When I see X, I always see Y following after X, and so I say that X causes Y, simply because X always comes with or before Y. So causality for Hume just is the constant conjunction between what comes before and what comes after. One principal problem with Hume's notion of causality is that it is really just about our perceptions. It remains possible that something we have not yet perceived will change our understanding of the cause and effect relationship. What is more, most causal observations do not give us a constant conjunction between cause and effect. And so to resolve this problem, proponents of human causation make cause and effect relations to be probabilities rather than necessities. And the issue here is that these, prob these probable relations may not, in fact, imply a real dependence of an effect upon a cause. And so that would take away from our certitude that some, some, some thing is causing a particular effect. And so Aristotle's notion of causation, um, what it does is it aims at discovering necessary links between cause and effect. And so Aristotle causes, uh, Aristotle understands causes to be things that make other things to exist and therefore explain why those things exist. How does it do this? Well, consider that Aristotle presents us with a theory of causation that has four kinds of causes, material causes, formal causes, efficient causes, and final causes. Modern theories of causation generally only consider what Aristotle called efficient causes, usually in the form of a sequence of events or in terms of a mechanism. But this does not tell us why those mechanisms exist or even why they work together. By introducing a notion of matter and form in, as causes, Aristotle has a way of explaining why efficient causes have necessary relations between them. This is because together the matter and the form describe what something is, and among the aspects of what something is are what it can do and what can be done to it. Now in actuality, there are ways of modeling science that do aim to describe the form and the matter of thing. The problem is that those same models still articulate form and matter in terms of mechanisms, rather than in terms of being and essence, which brings problems with it. One subfield of philosophy today that does try to respond to these real problems by providing a novel framework for understanding essential features in causation is called powers ontology. Powers ontology does try to introduce Aristotelianism into scientific explanation, but it does so using what is called a functional interpretation of Aristotelian powers. I'm not sure all the, all the, uh, 
I'm not sure all the powers ontologists would, would agree with that, but there are mo the vast majority of the ones I've come across tend to be functional um, Aristotelians. And so there are many problems that are associated with the powers ontology, bo both with how it understands Aristotle and how it describes what we know as the laws of nature. Despite these flaws, they are responding in a fruitful way to real problems and, and they are moving in the right direction. Now, personally, I think what is good about these thinkers is often inspired by Aristotle. And the flaws I see in some of them is partially because they are not Aristotelian enough. So obviously, they need more Aristotle. So I think that, the, uh, that building upon the work of these thinkers uh, by reintroducing a more robust Aristotelianism into our development and interpretation of scientific models will not only give us a better grasp of the essential connections between causes and effects, but will also enable us to connect the data of our experiments with the logic of our, over, of our, over, of our overarching theories with greater ease and accuracy. Again, I need a little bit more water before I go on. This leads to my last point, and I am finishing up here. And this concerns the idea of nature in Aristotle. Science, of course, aims to study the natural world. Yet because of the loss of classical notions of causation, there has also been a loss of the fuller notion of what it means to have a nature. Too often, scientific conceptions of nature are limited in scope because scientific models can only describe the mechanisms of the natural world and not get at the, under, un, at the unchanging essences that make those mechanisms work. For the understanding of the formal and material causes that, that I discussed a moment ago just is an understanding of the nature of a substance. And what this means is that nature in Aristotle is a cause, and therefore nature is a concept that is central for understanding why things are the way that they are. And I want to highlight that nature on this view is a stable, unchanging feature of a thing. Now, this fact is often perceived as a weakness because many will consider an unchanging nature a stale and inert feature of a model. But from an Aristotelian perspective, nature is not stale and inert, but rather is a stable set of constraints that direct the subject bearing the nature to be and to act in ways that are beneficial to it and understandable to us. This will make natures more like constants in, math, in a mathematical formula, like unto how the speed of light acts as a constant in relativity or the Planck constant in quantum mechanics. Just as we do not see these constraints as inert elements of a model, but dynamic elements that help us to understand the physical, how the physical universe operates, so we should see a stable, unchanging nature as a dynamic element in Aristotle's system, not a stale and inert feature around which we must work. And just as we treat the laws of nature as principles that help us to describe change and develop models, so we can use nature as a kind of law that is interior to individual things that describe how it can change. And we can use that inner law that we call nature to develop models of being on which we can build models of operation. This notion of Aristotelian nature built upon Aristotelian notion of causation can enrich our science and give a finer paintbrush with which we can paint the picture of the world in which we live. And what is more, if there is a reconfiguration of how nature is understood and how nature as a cause can be introduced back into the study of science, we might have a better epistemic grounding for the claims science makes and for establishing experiments that can clearly identify what is nature and what flows from other causes. 
if there was a, the reintroduction of Aristotelian notions of causation and nature, we may be able to develop clearer models that better describe and understand the world as it is, not just how it appears. And so now I must conclude. There's a lot in this lecture that I've necessarily left unsaid, and some things that need to be clarified, and some claims, both historical and metaphysical, that need more defense than I was able to give it in just the few minutes I had. That's because my purpose today was not to present Aristotelian philosophy for science as a whole. That's a project for another day, really for many days. So my project was simply to show you in a broad picture of how Aristotle and the study of his philosophy can benefit science today. In past ages, scientists were philosophers who happened to have a particular interest in the physical world. But today, most scientists have only an elementary notion of philosophy, and it is often a philosophy that is not entirely friendly to science. I would propose then that those of you who are interested in science, that you would find a lot of benefit in studying and coming to understand Aristotelian philosophy. For if done correctly, it can not only make you better scientists and give you greater certitude about your scientific conclusions, it can help you to access the secrets of nature with greater accuracy and greater truth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.tomisticinstitute.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.